Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. What's up, man? What's going on, man? Long time no no talk. I know, I know. That's the difference now that we don't we no longer work at the same club. We uh we don't see each other as much. Yeah. Um, but at least we have the podcast, which is nice. There you go. Yeah, and I'm also not driving north to go watch you play. Sorry. That's uh, all right. No, no worries. No big deal. Um, so, um, some updates for everybody. Um, the high school season is, uh, I mean, not hasn't started yet, but at least at, uh, that's how we started our winter workouts. So I'm excited for that. Um, that's that's been it's been fun so far. Getting new some getting to know some of the new players. Um, getting to see some of the returning players again. So it's good. Bringing in that junior class. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we only have juniors there. So it's, you know, you got to do what you got to do with what you have. Um, but no, it's, it's it was fun. It's been it's been good. We've had three practices so far. Um, and I'm, I'm happy with the progress the kids are making. Um, you know, obviously, we can only do individual stuff right now. So it's individual skill working and then um, like team workouts. Um, so working on some strength and conditioning stuff and speed and agility. Uh, so doing some doing some stuff there. So it's good. Exciting stuff good so stuff. far. Yeah, I'm just getting high school players prepared to go back to our high school because I'm still training on the yeah. travel side. And you um, have a tournament at some point coming up soon, right? A couple. Yeah, weeks we got a tournament in uh, on President's Day weekend, 18, 19th, 20th, up at the Proven Grounds. So uh, Penn Fusion Showcase will be be good to get them their last kind of opportunity to get seen before the high school season in a travel capacity. So, you know, always looking to showcase players to the best of their abilities. So looking forward to it. Yeah, that's good. Um, This week we have two interviews. Yeah, we got an awesome, we got some awesome interviews. Yeah, we, we have, we have two interviews. Uh, a few of them we're going to double up just because of the length of them. Um, So today, the two interviews that we have, uh, the first interview um, is with Marguerite Alzaza, uh, <laughs> UCLA, UCLA. I thought you spoke Spanish. Alzaza, right? Uh, UCLA women's soccer coach, um, hired in 2021 as a sixth head coach in the women, in UCLA women's history. Um, and uh won the national championship in national in 2022 so uh made a huge impact right off the bat uh beating unc in the finals in a in a thrilling thrilling final um so overall it's it's good stuff uh it's a, it's a really fun interview um she was she was really cool and and super super nice uh so we'll listen to that now all right uh Luis, you have to pay the late checkout fee for our, new, for our next guest after, after, after we run over. You as gotta long pay as the I can get out back fee. into my room, we good, we good. Uh, we good, we good. Uh, Marguerite Awazaza, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing well. UCLA doing well. women's soccer coach, national championship. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I, think you I think it's a mic drop. You just one and done, right? Yeah, no? I, did, I did sell people. I'm looking at an early retirement. But. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved. So uh, can you can you briefly walk us through um, that game and what, what that felt like? There's a lot of emotions in that game and uh, in just general what it meant first year head coach to, to get to that point. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever be able to put it in the correct words, like what that meant to us, um, what it meant to me personally, to our staff. 
Um, it was my first time winning as a head coach. It was also the first time winning for anyone else in our program, which is so cool. I've had the great pleasure of winning a championship before as an assistant. So I don't know if like that first time feeling is something so special, but this time I found myself just watching everybody else like feel that for the first time. And that's like the feeling I'll take. It's just that gratitude, that like awe of watching other people go through it. The game was very stressful. That was, it did not go to plan. Like we were definitely not hoping to be down 2-0 with 15 minutes left. Um, but what I was most proud of is just the resilience our team showed and the composure they showed, kind of the trust they had in their preparation. When you ask them, I think they were just like totally in the zone. They're like, yeah, we knew what we had to do. And as soon as we got one goal, like the next you task was very heels. clear. Like, yeah, as soon as we got one, they're like, we knew, now we just have to get one more. And as soon as we got the second, you should have seen the moments between regulation and overtime. My team, I was like, you guys need to bring it, because they're like, we got this now. Like, <laughs> there's no way we're losing now. Like, what we just did, the momentum we have, like, we're going for it. So it was a roller coaster of emotions. Um, for me, it was more of like, a little self-discovery because I was really thinking like okay when we're down to zero there was a small part of me that was thinking like how do how are we going to lose gracefully here like how are we going to do this in a respectful way like we never blame anyone but ourselves for the loss and want to be congratulatory to UNC if that were to happen so I was thinking like what is that going to look like how am I going to kind of wrangle these 35 players who have just experienced probably the biggest loss and to help them do it in a classy way. Then we scored, and I was like, oh, no, I need to prepare for overtime. So it was completely different. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, the game-winning goal, like, that's a memory I'll have forever. So it was just I mean, wonderful. to take down one of the greats, right? I, I mean, I, I assume that Anton Dorrance is one of your – somebody look up to, right? I think everyone in the coaching world, soccer aside, like, yeah. looks up to him because his success is unprecedented. So how does that – like, I know personally you're like, man, I just took down probably the best women's soccer coach in America. How, how does that feel? I mean, I kind of thought that I more so was like, hi, Anson, I'm Marguerite. Like, <laughs> nice to meet you. You're a legend. Like, you know. Can I get a picture with yeah, you? Yeah, I was like, wow, love what you've done. Congrats on, wow. Um, to his credit, like, I think he set the tone for that. He was so gracious. He was so kind, so encouraging, so respectful at the end of the game. Like, that's what I took away from that is like, wow, when you talk about losing gracefully, like, he did that. And I'm like, I can only hope that I'll be in a position 30 years from now where I'm faced with a younger coach or whatever and that I have the grace and maturity to do what he did. So it was incredible. Um, but, um, you know, I, that's more what I took from it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's awesome, right? Like, because, I mean, you go against Anson Dorrance, you're like looking over there, you're like, He's definitely going to, I mean, I'm a good coach, but he's going to outcoach me, right? Well, I was just like, anyway. He's been here a couple times. I was like, he definitely has experience on his side. <laughs> so big picture question here, coming from just a massive college soccer fan. At the moment, you didn't know it, but can you put into context this year with women's head coaches, with what you did, University of Chicago, which you, like, because again, I, I coach young girls, and we talk all the time about the mentorship and seeing the game through, you know, women, you know, women's coaches, so obviously at the time you might not know that but I mean do you know what a mo like the moment now with two head coaches first year like what's that you know what's that mean to you and what do you think it means for the future I mean I hope for the future it gives like it's sad that I think people need validation but in some way it provides that that it's like 
give opportunities to women, invest in women, like we are capable, right? Right. Like I think that's what I took from it. I'm like, look, like maybe the reason that it hasn't happened so far is because we haven't been allowed to do that or like been given the opportunity, not for lack of ability. So that's kind of where I took it. I was like, yeah, go ahead. Not just in, there was women winning national championships this year, but you, you looked at it's in D1, there was a lot of coach of the year in their respective region or in their respective conference, a lot of women. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was really cool. So for instance, like Pac-12 was, um, like coach of the year was a woman. Um, was it you? Yes. Just a woman. I was though. like, I shouldn't go like this. I shouldn't do conferences because I don't know the conferences that well. But for instance, Tracy Chow from Army, she mm-hmm. won Coach of the Year in her respective conference. Tra- uh, Tiffany from uh, what's it called Central Florida, she won Coach of the Year in her respective conference. Sarah Martinez from Yale won in her respective conference. So I think that part, I was like. I thought that was really cool because that's voted on by your peers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is cool because now it's like, it is being validated from within and it has to happen there first before it's gonna be from the outside. So I thought it was really, really cool. The national championships, that's more from the outside, like people can see that, but I was really proud to be like a young woman in coaching this year. All right, before before we wrap up, I know you have to check out. Okay, yes, yes. 2023, Mm -hmm. back to back. I hope. <laughs> I don't know. She's I humble. Feel, She's real humble. I hope. I think. I think we have the tools to do it. I think our approach is going to be the biggest, biggest thing. Um, one thing I've learned this week is like we, we talk so much as a society about how to deal with failure. We don't often talk about how to deal with success. So, this is going to be another experiment. Uh, we called our first season the Great Experiment because UCLA took a chance on us. Like. First time head coach, my staff, I, I would guess we are one of the youngest coaching staffs in the country. Um, the collective experience is, is big, but maybe not at this level. And so we were kind of like, we're an experiment. We're doing things a little different. And now the experiment will be, okay, how are we going to do this with that success kind of in our back pocket? So we'll oh, see. If you have any openings on your staff, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. I love that. Was this this was a whole thing just for that little plug at the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I'm only looking for the good jobs. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> They're all good jobs. They are all good well, jobs. Marty, thanks so much for coming on. We yeah, really appreciate thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you. Uh what a what a great what a great interview with Marguerite. Um shout out to Louise for 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 hooking that up with us. Uh for us. Um, hey, I saw her. You did. You did. You, took her, you saw her, and we got Louise to go out there and uh, chase her down before she had to check out from her hotel. So, because I think we were mid interview, and I was just like, um, "How do we do this? Yeah, how do we? Yeah, do we, we uh, ranked Louise ahead of Kyle. Yeah, sorry, Kyle. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that was the first interview. Um, second interview coming up uh, is with Jerice Cologne. Uh, she is the CEO of the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. Those of you that don't know what Safe Sport is, it's the governing body uh, that is a nonprofit organization, but has some some direction by the U.S. government as far as like uh, certifying that coaches are um, properly trained and uh, know how to report potential signs of abuse. Um, yeah, and also help prevent some signs of abuse and you know different interactions and just making sure that yeah yeah making sure the coaches and a lot of the olympic sports are they know what to do and how to interact with players and to make sure you know they're not allowing anything 
to happen that we'd all want to see in the newspapers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the by the way, can I I know we I this seems like this seems like I'm doing this on purpose, but I, I promise I promise when we talked about this last week, we had no idea of what was gonna happen during the week. So this was not planned or pre-planned. Uh but uh so we we had originally scheduled we or we had originally planned that uh Jerry's interview was gonna be coming out this week. Um we wanted to get it in before the end of the month. Um the United Soccer Coaches podcast came out yesterday. Is Jerice on that podcast? Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, shout out. So Jerice, shout out to you. You are like gonna get so much recognition for just being on podcasts. So the question is, and, and I think, and I want, I maybe, and maybe this is a question for Hillary. Uh, uh, but who reached out first, Dean Linky or us? We got to get Hillary on the podcast. I, I don't know. Uh, Hillary, by the way, I did have, I did have a chance to shout out to Hillary, uh, who's a communications director, um, there. But, uh, I also, I had a brief, brief uh, moment to, to talk with her. She has a really cool background. Um, I'll just, I'll just leave that out there. But, uh, so it's uh, Hillary at some point, if you want to come on the podcast, feel free. We would love to talk to you. Uh, but, um, but just saying, I don't, I know we talked about like we had a little bit, it seemed like there was a little bit of beef with Dean Linky. Uh, no, I mean, actually, no beef, but like just, Friendly beef, friendly beef, friendly, friendly, friendly beef. Vegan, uh, vegan beef. There you go. <laughs> vegan beef. There you go. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, like you know, you yeah, just because you put out you put out your podcast on Wednesdays or Thursdays, something like that. You know, you're trying to you're trying to one up, but it's fine. If we had known that, we would have put ours out on Tuesday. That's right. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. But hey, we knew we inter- She was our first interview at the convention. Jewish she was, was. and. She was our first, or she was the first interview on our side of Podcast Row. Yes. So we know we recorded the interview first. So anything that you hear that seems like it's like a little bit better, you know, they just kind of had time to write down their questions and one up us a little bit. So maybe, maybe they were spying on us trying to get, trying to figure out what we were asking. Yeah. So they could do some, you know, research based on what we were asking. All I remember, all I know, not I remember, all I know is that during an interview, we definitely had some like fun lines where uh and 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 let's be realistic talking about safe sport um it is a tough conversation stuff it's a serious it's a serious thing but we were able to i think add add uh shed some or add some now i don't think fun is the right word but you know uh add a little bit of uh workplace humor yeah (laughs) let's go with that uh because because we did we did make Jerice laugh a couple of times, um, and uh, so I think there's 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 there was a good conversation that I think I think that sometimes is us as soccer coaches or soccer professionals we look at the people that are in governing bodies as people that are like very like suit and tie like straight edge like well this and that and like you feel like you can't have fun with those people sometimes but I feel like we do a good job of. Or at least we try to do a good yeah, job Jerice, of kind of breaking that barrier down. Jerice is like, yeah, safe support is serious. Like, I think you'll hear in the interview where she used to work previously. Yes. But like, she takes it very serious. But at the same time, you know, I think we have the misconception that we think this is like life or like, it's like life or go to jail type. <laughs> like, if you break yeah. a rule, you're going to jail. And she's yeah. like, I mean, it's that serious. But at the same time, we have people to vet and to support each other, not yes. really like, 
It's a we're cultural not, change, right? That's what we yeah, should talk about. We're not about. the safe sport police. We're not, you know, waiting to kick down your door and take you in. Like right. we're here to support you, educate you, and more on the prevention side. So I think that's where the humor came from. Is you know, we thought she was, you know, coming there to lock up coaches. Didn't pick yeah, I, I, I'll admit I was a little intimidated before we interviewed her. Of like, it's just I just felt like it was going to be a very serious interview, and it was. She was just saying, it, you didn't complete your safe sport. <laughs> I mean, I did. I I've completed my safe sport. She probably did the back. Do you think she background checked everybody she did on podcast for her to see if they completed their? That would yeah, it would be interesting. That would be funny. That would, yeah, it would be. Um, be right, well, you didn't complete safe sport. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll we'll listen. We'll listen to uh, we'll listen to that interview now. Dwayne, we have our first guest of the 2023 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia, um, and it might be the first time that um, we get we almost got interviewed before being before interviewing before the interview process <laughs> before the interview process, which is actually pretty cool. I like that. I it can be somewhat intimidating. Uh, she had to make sure we were a good fit for putting her name out there. I mean, it, that's kind of what happens when you when you interview somebody that's a CEO. Right. That's right. I mean, those three letters can be can <laughs> be intimidating. It can be something. We're, we're underdressed. I, I'm definitely underdressed. <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely underdressed. Uh, I, so I, I'm sitting behind the table. I'm wearing dress pants. Just so you know, I'm not, okay. I am not wearing shorts. No I am, judgment. I'm not wearing shorts. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, I mean. Do I want to introduce her? I don't know. I feel intimidated to even introduce her. She might introduce herself. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Oh, wow. That's never happened to me That's before. Never, oh, oh, all so these we're firsts. Just, we're just flipping, we're, flipping, firsts. We're flipping the script. We're flipping the script. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I'm Doris Cologne. I'm the CEO of the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. U.S. Center for Safe Sport. Uh, for those that are soccer coaches or just coaches out there, uh, she is in charge of all the certifications you have to do every June or July or August before you can coach. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and she asked us right before we started uh, why we wanted, why we were interested in, in doing this interview, uh, and it's because doing both you and I have to deal with safe sport quite a bit. Yeah, we we deal with safe sport. We have to take the course every year, um, and along with that, we have um, people under us that we are in charge of making sure they do take the course every year and making sure they meet the requirements in order to coach, um, be a board member or a volunteer in our club. Alright, Juries, let's let's get let's get started okay. because I have questions that I submitted before that I want to make sure I I, uh, I we get to, but at the same time I want this to be a conversation because already I'm having a ton of fun. Okay, awesome. So this is good. Um, all right. So, can you describe in general? You've you've had you you've based your career are based on child safety to a certain extent. I mean, you've you've worked in different places, uh, boys and girls club. Yeah. Um, and now the U.S. Center for Safe Sport. Uh, what does child safety mean mean to you, and why is it at the forefront of your career? Oh wow, that's a loaded question. So I've been doing this now for about 20 years, um, which is hard to believe sometimes. Um, I started out at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, um, where I was really focused on abduction prevention, exploitation, internet safety. And then when I moved to Boys and Girls Clubs of America, um, it was that plus, right? So all these kids who were coming to clubs each and every day just for a safe place to learn, to have fun. Um, and it was just something that, um, honestly, it was like one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life um, because being around that many kids who were just are just thrilled to be there was just amazing. Um, but, you know, making sure that they had that safe place to go 
um, and making sure that they were surrounded by adults that they could trust and count on was really important to me. And so as I moved into the Center for Safe Sport and really focusing on the Olympic and Paralympic movement, I wanted the same experience for athletes. Um, there are 11 million or so people that are kind of float in and out of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic movement every year, um, which is an incredible amount of people, about 1% of the U.S. population. And so it's really important that we focused on making sure that they had the right tools to keep kids safe, but also to make sports safer and more fun um, because sport is so integral to society. Like, it's just super important. Um, do you think, so the, the U.S. Center for Safe Sports started in 2017. Yep. Um, in the five years, going into six years now, um, do you think there's been, there's, there's you started to see a cultural change as far as not only the understanding of, of safe sport, even at the smallest levels of, of youth sports, um, do you think there's a cultural change that's starting to happen? Is it, are you basically seeing the results of your labor, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It has been a, it's been a long road for sure. I mean, we opened in the wake of some really terrible things. And so, you know, I think part of that, because it was just such a eye-opening experience for the nation to see that that could have happened in a sport at such a grand scale, that I think people thought that everything was terrible and it wasn't right like there were some really bad things that were happening and people were ignoring a lot of things that they shouldn't have um, but I think what people wanted what athletes wanted was one they wanted to feel safe they needed a place to report should they um, experience any sort of abuse or their friends experience any sort of abuse the nation wanted some accountability um, and so we started to put those pieces in place and in the short five years that we've been around, we've seen that happen. I mean, we've trained over 4 million people. Um, we've received over 16,000 reports of abuse since we opened our doors. We've sanctioned more than 1,800 people and removing them from sport um, at some point in their, um, in their careers. And so that never happened before. And on top of that, you know, we have all of these people who have been through the Safe Sport Core courses, like you, like all of your members in your clubs, who now know how to respond, how to recognize and report abuse. And the best part about that is they're calling us not only when something terrible happens or when they suspect something has happened, they're calling us before things happen, meaning that they know what policies are, they know what boundary violations look like, and they're just trying to stop it before it happens. And that is culture change. I think that, I think one of the things you just hit on, prevention. Prevention is key when, when you think about safe sport. When you take the course, you know, you're learning about stuff, and it's stuff that, you know, as we go from generation, we're getting more advanced in technology, we're using phones, we're communicating more. I think it's something that, you know, things that people don't think necessarily are harmful, that they do that are a regular basis, on a regular basis, and now they say, oh wait, let me take a step back, let me make sure I'm doing the right, I'm in the right chain of command, I'm following the right directions and I'm just being preventative instead of, you know, just going around the norm. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also a big part of, and you, you hit on something about policies, and so it's not just, oh, we're mandated to do it, right? It's not, like, that's, that's, the, that's the easy version, right? The easy version is, well, we're a club, we have to do this, take the course, and then just be done with it, get your certification, and then worry about it next year. Now you're starting to, th I, at least from internally, we see it, um, and we've seen the clubs around us. Now there are, there is conversation, there is policies, there's there's procedures, there's actual people in charge of. There are there are titles. Actually, I saw it recently. Uh, people are hiring safe sport like directors for organizations because it's not just somebody to say, hey, you have to take this course. It's now all right. 
what does the course entail and how do we now internally change our culture, right? I'm, I'm assuming that's an intentional message that you, you hope gets gets sent out because it's hard for you and as an organization to try to do that with all the youth sports organizations in the country. But is that, is that an intentional thing that you would hope? So soccer is certainly one of the largest governing bodies within the Olympic movement, but there are 55 of them. And so there are a lot of people, right, that have to have some sort of level of understanding. And the center, while we've grown a lot, I've got about 125 staff right now, there's nowhere near as many people that we would need to make sure that kids are protected across the entire country. We need other people, we need local clubs to really play their part. And that's exactly what you're seeing. So it's not just training, it's not just policies. It's saying, we're gonna make this a core part of our culture. We're taking a look at our codes of conduct. We're making sure that there's someone in our club who is responsible for kind of shepherding this along. And that is like extreme progress. Like if you, that did not happen five years ago. Um, so we, we talked about this before, but uh, before we started recording, but one of the biggest things for us in general as a podcast and, and us too as soccer coaches is mental health. Um, can you can you talk about the, the mental health side of the, the safe sport modules? Because I think those are extremely important and and we're starting to see that more and more. That's a, that's a, that's a big topic of conversation in sports in general. Um, so can you touch on that? Yeah, so when people think about this, they think they jump right to sexual abuse misconduct, which is a big part of what we do. But, you know, what we have started to see over the last couple of years is an increase in reports around emotional and physical misconduct. And, you know, I think part of it is that people didn't really know what that looked like. Um, but it's starting to, to rear its very ugly head um, in sport because we've been ignoring it as a nation for a really long time. And, you know, I think one of the best things that to come out of the pandemic, um, if there is anything that's like positive that comes out of a pandemic, is that you've had all of these athletes at all levels of their career start to say, wait a minute, we're going to pause here. I'm taking care of me. Um, and that never happened before. And so for us, you know, that sort of recognition, particularly at high, the highest levels where you have all these kids kind of looking up to all these athletes and taking care of their own mental health, I think started a, a movement where people are like, look, we're going to do that for ourselves as well. But not only are we going to make this a priority, we want to know more about it because it's starting to impact every aspect of our life. The reports that we get um, oftentimes, particularly when it's around emotional and just abuse and, and mental health, is that you know you have people who have dedicated their lives to a sport that purposely just get beat down um, emotionally by coaches, by athletes, and others in their lives, and it's not fair. And that takes an incredible toll on whatever role you play in an organization or whatever level you are in a sport. And so for us, it's really important that as we look at educational content, that not only are we helping people identify um, the signs of abuse and misconduct, but that emotional um, uh, wellness is at the top of everyone's list when they're thinking about how do we keep athletes safe. Because you've got to make emotionally safe places for, for people to practice, to play, to compete. Um, and that wasn't happening before. And so, you know, we're not taking that on ourselves, right? There's a lot of really great organizations out there that are focused specifically on emotional wellness and mental well-being. Um, we're a small part of that, but the more that we can include that in the Safe Sport Core training, the more that we can include that in our policies um, so that organizations are really focusing on it, I think we'll all be better for it. Um. I'm assuming it's not all rainbows and unicorns and everything's super happy all the time and there's glitter flying everywhere. Glitter's everywhere. <laughs> so I'm assuming, especially with, with the, the, the mental health side of it, 
I, I would assume that there probably is some pushback at times. Do you think from uh, from either specific sports? And we don't have to touch on the specific sports, but do you th- is there pushback in the sense of like, well, you're not going to teach me how to coach, or you're not going to tell me how to coach when, like, you know, because we at times have in in you know, as luckily as cultural or as, as generations change. We're starting to see those changes, but at times some of us grew up in the idea that like, unless you got a broken bone and you like it's exposed and there's blood or like just throw some dirt on and keep playing kind of thing, right? And and we know that we now or we know that it's a that's that's also mental abuse too. Like you can't tell somebody that like yeah you're hurt now just keep playing you're good. Um, so have you sent some pushback at times from from different places of? from that standpoint? Yeah, I mean, like, there's going to be a lot of old school coaches, right? Um, and the thing with old school coaches is they learn from old school coaches. <laughs> and so you tend to perpetuate the same coaching practices that you've had for, for decades. But now, I think that we've given, well, not even we've given, athletes have taken their voice back, right? And are just demanding better um, and demanding that, you know, there is no more throwing dirt on my open wound, <laughs> right? You're not going to push me to the point of exhaustion anymore. I'm not going to take it. And so I think part of it is, you know, the athletes are just standing up and saying, no, this is, this is just not acceptable. Um, and there are some sports where, like, look, this is how we motivate people. This is how we get them to gold. But sometimes, and I know I shouldn't say this in front of, like, a bunch of competitive people, but it's not all about winning. <laughs> sometimes you got to take an L, right? Um, and sometimes you really just have to focus on yourself and your well-being in order to play another day. And so I think for a lot of, a lot of coaches now who are starting to just understand, because I think it's also just lack of understanding. People just didn't know. And so the more that we talk about it, a lot of these old school coaches are like saying, you know what, maybe this is there's a better way. And again, that's another sign of, of culture change. We're here this week like talking to coaches' cohorts um, with the United Soccer Coaches Association because they're taking this and putting this at the top of their priority list. Um, and it's all about making sure that coaches have the right tools and resources to recognize it and then respond appropriately. And that's how we'll keep moving the bar. Well, I mean, I think we we see it now in the and there's been obviously the over the last 10, 15 years the big change with concussions and recognizing yeah. the long lasting because nobody recognized what was the long lasting impact of a concussion was 30 years ago until 30 years later you're exactly. like hey here's what happens so I think it's the same the same concept here I think the other part of it um, you talked about sometimes you you have to you have to take the L right. I think we sometimes confuse the idea of winning. It's sports, rarely do you see somebody that can play a sport for 30 or 40 or 50 years of their lives, but we start them so young. So, I mean, if you look at it for a professional soccer career, outside of the, the very, very small percentage that can make it past 40, realistically, at 35, if not younger, your career's done. And then you still have another... 50 to 60 years of your life left <laughs> which is hard to like imagine at that age right, right? you have more than <laughs> more than half of yeah. your life left to then still be able to do something yet we focus on the idea that like what matters is you being able to win this trophy medal whatever it is and yeah there's there's financial implications involved in it um but realistically like it, it's it's your the rest of your life that's a big part of it right um with the pandemic right so so 20, uh, 2020, uh, so three years in to the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, pandemic hits, everything gets shut down. Um, what were what were some of the lasting effects that that you either had to pivot or, or readjust 
that maybe have actually worked out relatively well. I feel like you're, the, the online platform has has developed over the last five years, and it's yeah, that was it's, a great investment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was great. Uh, so where where have you seen some of the effects from yeah, the pandemic? I'll definitely let my IT guys know that. They will appreciate that. <laughs> um, so a couple of things, because when we shut down in March of 2020, I think I might have had mm, maybe 50 staff. Maybe. And so we were in the middle of this sort of like hiring craze because we really needed to staff up to meet the demand of all the reports that we were getting in every day. At that point, I think we had, we'd ended that year around 2,700, which was more than we'd ever had before. Last year, 2023, we ended at 5,700. So like the numbers just kept going up. So we knew we had to really start to staff up. So we were lucky enough that we had we had already invested in like Zoom and Teams and all of these um, work platforms that we could start, we could still do business. So we started to invest in hiring people from all across the country and now have people in like 27 states. So that was probably the biggest thing. The second part was because sport sort of stopped. Um, you know, the number of reports that we got dipped for the first time in our history ever. Um, and so it gave us a little bit of breathing room to catch up. But also what happened is that we started seeing different types of abuse being reported because there was all of this digital and virtual coaching that was happening and putting kids, uh, particularly young kids, in, in virtual rooms with adults without any supervision. Um, and so we saw an increase in reports um, around sort of like digital communications. And so we really wanted to make sure that we started focusing in more on resources to help support that and just reminding parents like, hey, you know, I know that you usually drop your kid off at soccer practice, but let's re- remind themselves that like soccer practice is now happening in your kid's room, right? So let's let's not forget that part. And honestly, you know, anybody who was a parent at that time was probably pulling their hair out. So it, they had a lot going on. And so it was just also just making sure they had the tools to be able to recognize that and deal with it. Um, but sport is back, right? And it, and it bounced back quicker than I thought it was going to. Um, the games, like, you know, pushed back a little bit. Um, but, you know, as soon as people were back on the field, back on the court, it was like business as usual, which is not that great when you yeah. think about what we do. Um, but it was it was definitely a learning lesson for us, and I think for the whole country. I think that's very interesting that, like, you know, when you say they dipped, but then you saw a different type of report coming in when you talk about the virtual component. So do you see a lot of, like, social media reports coming in? Like, kids, when, when the pandemic happened, did you see a lot more, like, social media, like TikTok? Instagram, those kinds of things coming in, or like did that trend go up? Oh my god, I love social media and hate social media also <laughs> because absolutely, um, there was so people are just terrible online. Um, so whether it was Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the rise of uh, TikTok, um, you know, kids were just on there being just bad to each other. Um, and I think in general, because we just were locked in our houses for so long, we forgot how to interact with each other and we just got mean. And so we, lo- we saw a lot of that play out across teams as well. Yeah. So what advice would you give, like, what advice would you give a coach um, with, with regards to social media? Like, what advice would you give them to give to their kids to say, look, like, this is what we're seeing. This is what we want to. This is, this is what we want to prevent. Like, what advice would you give a coach? I mean, I definitely not say like don't let kids get on social media, right? Because that's impossible yeah, to do, right? Yeah, we're but past that. We're past that point, right? Um, but I do think it's about moderation, right? Just with anything else, because 
what happens that we've seen, and I've seen it for, for years, is that you know kids get kind of stuck in this virtual world and forget that the things that they say and do have any real impact on kids or anybody else. Um, and so you know it's also led to a, a lot of issues when it comes to like body dysmorphia and eating disorders because it's so visual, right? And people right. are basically choreographing what their lives look on, online. And so I think as a coach, as a parent, it's just a constantly reminding them that what you see online isn't always reality. Um, and that you don't have to strive to be that, right? right. You gotta be the best version of you, but you're never gonna look like the person that's on the other end of an Instagram post. Um, and you also have to remember that everything you do has real life implications. Um, and just constantly kind of beating that drum because kids need to hear things over and over again, just like we do. Do you think, um do you think, because I, I also coach high school soccer, um, and I feel like that's where at times there's been there's been a somewhat of a disconnect. Do you think there's a disconnect between high school sports, college sports, and then the the Olympic, Paralympic side of things and, and what you're dealing with with, with the U.S. Center for size? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> sport in this country is so fragmented. Everybody's playing from, with different rules. Right. Um, and it is, it can be get really challenging, particularly in our work, because people think that they can call us for everything. Um, and the fact of the matter is we don't have jurisdiction over high schools, right? We don't have jurisdiction over local um, youth-serving organizations. And so there's a there's a challenge there to get people to understand, like, where what they can do and where they can report. Um, and what acts, what resource they have access to. And so I think we're starting to see more organizations, particularly high schools, colleges, and universities, um, you know, start to have some more consistent policies so that we can expect the same thing in some instances, right, from, from whatever level you kind of progress to. But we got a long way to go. All right, before we wrap up, um, what advice would you give to, to a, a youth so soccer club like, like both Dwayne and I work in? Uh, for what we can do to to push the envelope forward, what, what can what can we do to? Uh, I got a piece of advice. You, you got a piece of All advice. Right. Tell the coaches to stop transporting kids. <laughs> That's one of them. Uh, I co-sign that. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I feel like I feel like when, when we first started talking, I felt like that was like the main thing because forever that was the norm. Hey, I need a ride. Coach comes, picks me up. Like and that was just the norm. I need this player. I need three players to get to practice or. You know, I have five players stuck without a ride, and I just go drop. And that was just the norm. That was just how people got around. That's how people relied on. But I think that now, as as humans, we've kind of disconnected. We've lost that sense of community. We've lost that sense of trust. And now with safe sport, you're just not allowed to do it, right? So I think those measures have been put in place. But I think that's kind of one of the things that we have to kind of close, figure that gap out. How do we get kids to and from practice whose parents may necessarily not be able to get them there? And without using the coach who doesn't have a child on the team. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think part of it is that you can still transport kids, right? right? You just shouldn't do it one-on-one, yeah. right? right? Um, and so I think that's the piece that you have to remember. But I think when you think about coaches and just, like, advice, is like, just keep your eyes open and make good decisions, right? I think that's the advice for life, right? Because a lot of times what we see, we want to pretend like we didn't. Or we want to like we want to think that maybe this is just not what I saw, or maybe it's not as bad as I think. But oftentimes, particularly in the cases that we see, if someone had intervened earlier, if someone had made a phone call earlier, we would have never gotten to the point that we did. Um, and so sometimes it can be like, ooh, I don't know if I should make a phone call, or you know, you don't have to leave your name if you don't want to, right? But I think it's just making sure that 
and remembering that what like you have a great power as as coach um, and as a leader in a community as a parent, and so being able to just say, hey, this isn't right. Um, or I'm just going to just check this out, or I'm going to have a conversation with someone, can go a really long way. Um, something just came to my head as you were talking about that. It was when we talk about the, the, the platform and the certification and going through all the modules. Um, can you talk about what goes into creating that? Because I feel like that's something that that we we overlook right we just say hey just it's well, just it's just, at, it's just there and then we're just like well, somebody I mean, put in the work but like there's a there's research that goes into creating that so i think i mean i think part of it probably comes from the reports that you get um i think part of it's probably like we look at the scenarios and say man these are some crazy scenarios but somebody must have but done somebody it. must have done it somewhere <laughs> yeah, down the road yeah and i think part of it is like you don't want to be the person that did it and then you end up in the paper. And, oh, that's, you don't want to end up in the module. And I think that's what the I think that's what safe sport the prevention is. You don't want to end up in the papers. I mean, that, that should be the motto. That should be the new motto. That should be the first thing. You don't want to end up in the next, don't be this guy. Don't be that guy. Uh, but yeah, what goes into what goes into creating the modules, and is it just a constant? constant re-looking at everything on, a, on, a, on a, almost on a daily basis. Yeah. We have like 14 of them This at this point focus on different subjects and audiences. So we start with a lot of research um, seeing like what the latest is when it comes to child abuse prevention but we also take a look at the things that we get every day, right? We had 16,000 reports by the, at the end of last year in total. Um, so we've seen a lot of crazy stuff, right? A lot of crazy scenarios and we pour those right back into the training because we know that it probably wasn't just one person who experienced it. Um, and we continue to look at that uh, on an annual basis. In fact, right now we're um, working on um, redoing the core courses and, and launching those um, uh, in, in the next year. So um, basically taking a look at everything we've done, putting it back in and just continue and like rinsing and repeating. Right. Um, and it's working. So I, I'm glad that y'all are taking them. <laughs> are, the, are the courses sport specific? Like are some of the training sport specific? Like where like... I guess some sports are a little bit more hands-on with coaches than others. Are they sports-specific, or are they all kind of the same courses? So the modules aren't sports-specific. We okay. try to include as many sports as possible, but we do end up working with a lot of sports individually to okay. do customized, like, in-person training for them because we know that every sport's a little bit different, um, and coaching practices have to be different as well, and we want to take that into account. Yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some, there's some sports that physical contact almost has to happen yep. from a safety standpoint right like, that's what I was thinking yep. of you're like you know like tennis and I can sit over there and mm -hmm. just watch you play but if I'm doing like swimming or something I've got to be a little bit closer I may have to teach them something so I was just wondering if that mm -hmm. was okay it's awesome yep. well Dries I, I really appreciate you stopping by um, thank you so much this has been a learning experience I think for all of us and I think something that um, Again, as we as I said before, before we started recording, um, we talk about soccer, we talk about the X's and O's, but at the same time, the majority of our content it usually has to do with the other stuff, and the stuff that at times does become more important because, realistically, without safe sport, without doing everything correctly that we just talked about, you don't even get to the field, right? You 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 don't get to the field. You don't get a coach. You don't get the, you don't get a card. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't you, don't, you, you can't, can't get carded. So. Uh, so the safety is, is number one. Step priority. one. Yeah, it's, it's step one. So. No, ser like, yeah. seriously, it's step one to getting on the field. Every July, you got to meet it by a certain date just to get out there. So It all starts here. I mean, I'm going to quote that, so thank you. I mean, it does. <laughs> I mean, 
you hold the key to soccer. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, well, I, I guess I mean you got a shout out to uh, I guess you got a shout out to Laura and Terry for you know yes. mandating that and, and and following up on that kind of stuff as well. Well, I think that's uh, that's our those are the uh, that's state the executive rep. director uh, and, and the administrator that work in our state association. So they're the ones that double check that we've completed all of our safe sport and then they submit it to U.S. Soccer. All right. Shout out to both of them. Yeah, they send us us emails with reminders of of coaches that have not. And most of the time, these are coaches that are no longer with us. But they do send us, hey, this coach needs to finish this, this coach. So they're they're very on top of it. It's a big part of, I guess it's a big part of Delaware Youth Soccer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so thanks, Jerese. I mean, you're again. As I said, you hold the key to youth soccer every year. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, Duane. Um, I have, I have two topics I want to talk to you about. Well, they're kind of together. Um, so Ronaldo, which one played, played Cristiano? Overweight Ronaldo or Cristiano? No, no, no. Cristiano Ronaldo played in uh, his second official game with Al Nasser uh, for the whatever cup yesterday that they had. Um, I probably should know because I, 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 uh, the um, the Saudi Super Cup, and they lost um, to Al Ittihad three to one. Um, so and Bad moves by Al well, there's potential that he's um, he's also injured. Um, and the manager came out and said that one of the reasons why they lost was because Ronaldo missed a goal. Uh, I mean, you paid somebody that much money. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you got to look at the stats. Here's, here's what I want to talk to you about. So I want to talk to you about the stats when you're done. All right. So Al Nasser just brought in a new goalkeeper that they brought in this week, like Tuesday, and they started him on the game yesterday. The goalkeeper came from Boca Juniors because because and here I'm going here's where I'm going with this. So so uh, Agustin Rossi is the goalkeeper was the former goalkeeper at Boca Juniors. He decided he was not going to renew his contract at Boca Juniors that expires in June of 2023. So uh, there's a rule. That six months before your contract expires with a club, you have the ability to negotiate uh, contract terms with another club and sign a pre-contract agreement. Yep. FIFA. So, yeah. So, you have the ability to do that, which is fine. Boca Juniors made the decision last Saturday or Friday uh, when they had a game in... Remember, I think... Remember, I told you... Boca was playing a Super Cup final against an Argentinian team in Saudi Arabia or in Abu Dhabi. Again, like they were, everyone was riding on the same plane. Even the ref, they brought the referees from Argentina all to play a game <laughs> in Abu Dhabi. All right, so so he's no lot. He was not even on the bench. They took four goalkeepers. He was two of the. He was one of the two goalkeepers that was left out of the bench. And. His man, the manager of Boca Juniors, says afterwards, um, "I only want players that are committed." Uh, there was a post that was put out by a team from Brazil saying that they had signed a pre-agreement with 
with Rossi. So that means he's showing us that he's no longer committed, so he's no longer going to play. So they have every intention of sitting him out for six months, basically. So uh, they get on the plane back on Sunday. They get on the plane back to, to Buenos Aires, and the plane has a layover in Madrid. Within the plane, Al Nasser basically signs this six-month loan and pays uh pays Boca Juniors like one point six million dollars. Uh so they drop him off in Madrid. They leave him in Madrid while they go to back to Buenos Aires. So this so, guy just has what he packed with him. Yeah, basically. So he can basically get his uh, his work visa sorted out, gets his work visa sorted out, flies to Saudi Arabia, and then is playing yesterday. So forty eight hours later, he's basically playing. Just drop them off. Here's a parachute. See you later, brother. So, so here's my question. This entire thing is only to ask you this. So this idea now that so you have the ability and we, I feel like we've seen it more and more than in the past where players will rather not sign a contract renewal and let their contract run out and sign a pre-contract agreement six months in advance. Do you think it's right for clubs to sit those players for six months? Um. No, I mean, I think the appropriate thing would be to see if you can work out a loan deal. You just give them to them six months earlier. Um, because if you have no intentions of signing this player and this player is not a regular member of your first team, then I'd say, I mean, you might as well just put the loan out and just let them go. I mean, I think it's the same thing as when you buy a player, when you buy a young player and you loan them back to their club, right? You have yeah. no intention of playing this player. So you want them to continue to play. So they sign a contract with another club. You have no intention of playing them. Loan them to that club. <laughs> right? It's kind of a no-brainer, right? Right. But only if you if the loan comes with a fee, right? Well, yeah. They, you know, you pick up the wages. You say, hey, look, they're still on my books. You know, I don't know what the, I don't, not an agent, but I would say, you know, probably like 60, 40. So 70. here's the thing. So. The reason why why clubs are against this idea of letting players are not a contract is sometimes a player will re- will renew their contract and then be sold automatically. Right. The reason, the reason for that is so that there was a transfer fee that the club yeah. could gain. So this way, this is this this basically stops clubs from from getting nothing for a player leaving. Right. Right. So you're looking in theory for the return of your investment. Um. So let's just say let's just say Modric Modric decides he's not going. Let's just say Modric's contract is uh, is up June twenty twenty three, right? This this June coming up. Um, and he decides that he he's not renewing his contract with Real Madrid, and he has already signed a pre agreement uh to go play in Croatia because he wants to go back home to play in Croatia, and so he signed a pre pre different situation. Does Enchilotti play him? That's a different situation, though. And here's why. You've got a really highly decorated player for the last probably 10 years of your club. He's mm-hmm. won a Ballon d'Or. He's helped you win Champions League titles. He's helped you win the league title. He's helped you win everything. Mm-hmm. That player automatically is going to get a send-off in front of the Bernabeu, Bernabeu on his last home game. Automatically is going to get a send-off 
thank you, welcome, because he's a highly decorated player. So those those that's a small percentage of the players. Now, if you're just talking about a regular Joe, you know, you're talking about like Marcos Asensio. Well, yeah, see you later. Like I think that's that's the tough part, right? right? So we let's change a- let's change the dynamic of it, right? Let's just say Modric decides he doesn't want to play Real Madrid anymore for whatever reason. Um, and he wants to and and uh Bayern going to Barcelona. <laughs> then- Hold on. So Bayern Bayern has offered Real Madrid twenty million euros for Modric, right? Which I think probably at this stage in his career is probably extensive. It's expensive, right? So let's just say they offered him 20, but Real Madrid is only able to sell him if they if they, they renew his contract, right? They have to renew his contract in order to... Mudder says no, because I signed a pre-agreement with Borussia Dortmund, uh, and I'm going to go there and starting July 1st. Still gets the same send-off. You still think he gets the same send-off? Yeah, I mean, you're really... I mean, you look at his age, you're not going to get a lot. You're, you're not getting... I mean, you're getting pennies. For what you really could have gotten, uh, you'll get something. But... So you think? So again, he he decides he's going to go to dormant, and you so you let him play for the last six months. Let him play for Lexi. He's done so much for my club. Okay. I mean, if he helps me win the Champions League, then guess what? I can go buy my Galactico. <laughs> um, that's and, but that's the thing, right? That's the thing with these big clubs, is uh, that what about like Real Madrid? Real Madrid is just going to go buy the best center mid that they so, could buy so let's just let's look at it from the same let's just let's go to the other side of of uh of spain let's, let's go, go to crystal barcelona. palace right let's go to barcelona let's go to barcelona ter stegen decides uh neuer neuer got hurt he's gonna be out for the rest of the fall season um and he thinks this is a shot to take his spot at Bayern and go back home and reclaim his german glory and be looked at as a german player uh, not as some relegated like third string goalkeeper, right? So, but his contract's up in June. Barcelona won't sell him, so he decides to not renew his contract and sign a pre agreement with Bayern to leave June thirty, June thirty first, and he's going to be there July first. Does you know, it's not thirty one days in June, by the way. Whatever, thirtieth, June thirtieth. <laughs> um, does does Xavi play him for the next six months? Well, I think the bigger question is: Does Bayern try to get him on loan right now? Because let's just say, let's just say, no, they they're not willing to spend a penny on Ter Stegen. Well, Xavi doesn't have a choice. The question is: Does Xavi want his job in six months? Barcelona can go buy another goalkeeper in the meantime. Who they going buy? Doesn't matter. I mean, they, I, buy, I, they I, go to they go to Aston Villa and they get Dibu Martinez. They're still going to play him. They're going to play him in the Cups. They're going to play him in the Copa del Rey. They'll play him in the whatever games that don't matter. The reason why I bring this up is because we've seen it. You and I have both seen this idea that at the club level, granted differently, there's no contracts and things like that, but at the the club level, players will say that they'll leave. They're going to leave at the end of the year or they're willing to leave in the middle of the season or things like that. From a coaching standpoint, right? Let's just say you have a player that tells you in March that at the end of the season they decided to leave your club for whatever reason. Do you continue to play them? I don't. I don't continue to play them the same amount of minutes I would 
reason okay. behind it is because for me, I'm I'm not I'm, I don't have the ability to go buy a player to replace them. It's true. I have to develop the player to replace them. Hmm. So in order to d- develop the player to replace them, I have to get I have to increase that player's minutes and that their time with the players that ideally they'll be playing around the majority of the time next year or the next season. Now, do I like decrease these player this player's minutes by like if they're playing 60 minutes a game, do I just go down and you're playing like 20 minutes? No. Okay. But you're gonna get subbed out. You may get subbed out earlier. And you may play a little bit more with the players that come off the bench. Because again, I need to, my goal is to develop the team and have the best team as possible. And I have to continue to develop players. And if you're leaving, you're telling me you're leaving, I have to develop your replacement. I can't go buy a replacement, not Real Madrid. It's just, do you, do you have the same view if the player tells you, hey, at the end of the year, I'm moving? If they're moving, that's a little bit different. Because they can't, that wasn't, now them leaving the club might not be their choice. <laughs> but moving is, again, it's the same thing as like if you retire. If a player comes up to you and tells you they're going to retire, you're going to make sure they have a special send-off. I mean, if they're moving, I'm going to try to get them a goal in their last game. Do, do they love action? Same thing as when a kid tells you it's their birthday, you're going to try to get them a goal. Hold on, but so wait, so hold on a second. And this is where I'm gonna I, I'm just asking questions. You ask questions all day. I, I am not, I am on I promise you I am not trying to I am not trying to I there is no answer. Like I don't I don't I'm just I legitimately just have a question. Um so you said you said that if a player tells you they're they're leaving your team and they're gonna go to a different team, right? You would the reasoning behind it is the reason why you would play them potentially less is because you got to get the next player ready. Yep. If a player tells you that you're moving, it, that's a different, in, in your mind, it's a different, it's a different thing. So those, would those players minutes be affected? They still would be affected. Okay. But I think for that, the, the conversation with that player is like, I want to make their experience I don't want to not make the player that's leaving to another club's less enjoyable, mm-hmm. but for the player that's moving, they're obviously moving somewhere, whether they're moving across the country, they're moving an hour away. They're not going to be in, you know, they're not going to be with their friends anymore. So it's how do I make their experience fun and enjoyable for the next, because that could be stressful and different. So, okay. Cause if I'm moving from, a luxurious place and i'm moving to the sticks <laughs> so wait so okay so, so so basically the the outcome would be the same it's just the way you frame the conversation for it yes okay all right you're okay. gonna lose that's you're fine gonna I just, that's fine i just wanted i just wanted to get your i just wanted to get your 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 view on that just because again these are things that do happen um to to people across the world of the country um so man you could say hey there's a player that's going i mean i'll use this example i had a player that said he's going to boarding school he's going to play at a high level like he's got to play at a high level and you know you had to put him in a difficult experiences 
I mean, it's all about knowing the experience you're going to go into. Yeah, I was just wondering. You could also prepare a player if you say, hey, you're going to go play on another team. Yeah. And you know that player potentially is you know, your number one. They're going to go play at a higher level. Mm-hmm. But knowing that they might be player number 18, you can also prepare them for that and say, hey, you got to sit over here. What can you do in these little bit of minutes? So you can mentally also support them to prepare them that way as well. Okay. Would the conversation change if if the if the club or the where they're going to, let's just say you're coaching a boys team and they're like, listen, coach, um, I made the Philadelphia Union Academy starting in the fall, for example. Does does it change at all? I mean, at the at the Philadelphia Union Academy, and this is, you know, having conversations with Dave Pettigrew. Let's, let's just let's just say let's not even put a name to it. Let, so that way we don't we don't okay, so the up. academy let, let's just, let's just say let's it's just an MLS Academy. Dave. Let's just say, let's use Dave Pettikin, for example, though, right? He said they will reach out and they will tell you, right? So there's obviously a respect for that. Yep. My question is, where do you see this player? How can I help support this? Where do you see this player playing? And they're like, coach, we need him to play as many minutes as humanly possible. That's going to pay off for me at the end of the round. What about, what about everything you just said before, though? You got to prepare to the next player in line. I still do have to prepare the next player in line. But my conversation becomes, right? Say this is my forward. And, you know, the academy says, hey, we really see this player. You know, I, we heard about the right back academy. <laughs> we need this player to be a right back. Can you help prepare them in a right back? I automatically have to prepare my, I have to already replace this player. Mm-hmm. Developing my new forward. And this player now starts to find minutes at right back. Okay. That's fine. So, yeah. I mean, I think I still have the, how do I prepare you? Yeah, that's so fine. I think, these are, I think the thing that, that changes your perspective is how are these conversations, how do these conversations brought up to you? Are they brought up the right way? That's fair. That's a good point. Because if this player is going to make the academy, you know, obviously, you would hope there would be some correspondence. Mm-hmm. Knowing our hometown club is going to have good correspondence. They're going to reach out. They're going to do the right things. Mm-hmm. I can help you. You can help me help you. Right? That's fair. Also, if I shot back and said, yeah, you can have them. I need two tickets to a D.C. United game. The tickets <laughs> would be in my mailbox. <laughs> uh, like, to, we'll see what you can do. Something, right? <laughs> we'll see what you can do. Um, but I think if they're not, even if they're not going to the academy, I think the conversation has to be brought the right way. You know, um, you know, if you have a player that's going to go play at a higher level, and you know, there's there's correspondence between yourself and the coach, and you say, hey, listen, you know, I know, you know, player X is a center mid on your team. They're really going to be a center back. Hey, I'll, I'll throw them at center back and try to support them as best as possible. But if this player just says, I'm leaving. Well, there's nothing I can really do there, and there's there's no context. There's nothing for me. To, you just left, right? See you later. That's fair. I mean, yeah. you and I both coach through soccer, so we've seen. We've also seen the other side. We've we've seen the other side, but we've also seen a lot of different things pan, like how things pan out. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I, you know, and some coaches look at it and say, "All right, I'm just win as many games as I can in the fall." Mm-hmm. And his players leaving in the spring, or I was playing as many players. I'm or play as many minutes in the spring and I'll see who's coming to tryouts and 
for the fall. And then that next player isn't prepared. I mean, yeah. I think that's that's key. And obviously we know it's the age of social media and players talk. So like if that player says they're going to, you know, if you know that you sub in for that player every game, that's the same player every game you sub in for, you know, you're the next player up and, you know, you want to help build that confidence in that player. And I'd say, oh, well, let me change six players, different positions to <laughs> replace one. And this player still comes off the bench. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good with it. I was just, again, I was just sparking the conversation of it. Or you could also say you're cut you're three, <laughs> six months early. <laughs> that's my, that was my, that was, that's it. That's the other that the response you're looking for. No, no, absolutely not. No, no. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't think I don't you could cut them. You could cut them six months early and be like, Hey, good luck. No, sometimes my, I think my point with this is that sometimes we look at, we look at professional soccer and there's a lot of things that we can potentially learn from the professional soccer game as youth soccer coaches. Um, I don't think I would ever condone the idea of letting a player not play um at the youth level. I think I think at the youth level the stakes are not they should they're they're not and they also shouldn't be um so high that that you're put in a position where a player should not be able to play on your team if if that's the team that they're on, right? If they've if they've made every if they are um if they have the skills required to be on that team and it's a safe environment for them to play in, um, then there's no there's no reason why a player should be should not be playing. Um, grudges shouldn't be held, especially at the youth level where we we all know that a lot of the decisions are made by parents or family members, and not necessarily the kids themselves. So, um, regardless of what people might might disguise them as, uh, so I don't. Know. It's a different. It's just a conversation. You can just cut the player. Yeah, there you go. That's one way to yeah, do it. Cut your losses early and just keep moving. <laughs> um, all right, player of the match. Um, I, I have two players of the match. Um, one goes out to Vinicius Jr. Vinny. Uh, Vinny. Uh, unfortunately, Vinny was uh was the target. Wait. The target, yeah, the target of a of a racist attack, uh, by somebody or a group of people. Uh, one would think it was Atletico Madrid fans. Uh, so Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid play yesterday in the um, Copa del Rey quarterfinals. Um, and and there was some just bad stuff. I I think we need to get to the point where again, these things stop happening. Um, so. I do appreciate the fact that Vinicius scored a goal um, and then probably had every justifiable response to be angry after scoring a goal, right? As a way to release the energy, but decides to to celebrate it in the way that he normally celebrates it by dancing and doing stuff like that. So um, I just, again, I, there's no reason for whether you like the player or you don't like the player from from their playing perspective, you like the team they play on. You don't like the team they play on. There is no reason for you to have any sort of harmful um, attacks towards somebody. Yeah. Just no so uh, my second player of the match goes to goes out to Sergio Kun Aguero. Um, because not only does he is he playing in the Kings League, he got hurt 
playing in the Kings. He's allowed to play. Yeah, he's allowed to play in the Kings League, uh, which we'll talk about the Kings League next week, but because um, it's going to wrap up anyway, so that'll that'll be a good topic of conversation. But he fired back at Slatan because Slatan went on some sort of interview and talked about how Messi deserved to win the World Cup, but the rest of the players in the Argentina national team behaved badly, and they'll never win anything again without Messi. So Aguero uh, gets on his Twitch channel and basically responds with, uh, where was Sweden in the World Cup? Uh, (laughs) um, And you also, you know, you weren't the best behaved player when you played when you were younger. So don't be, you know, sticks and stones, man. He's not the best behaved player. Well, he's hurt, but no. Yeah. So. I just think every once in a while, as much as I like Slatan and um, I like his confidence, sometimes your ego needs to be checked and you need to own up when you made a mistake. So uh, I like the fact that Sergio Aguero is out there just calling him out on it. Thought it'd be fun. Sergio is just out here chilling, man. He's yeah. He doesn't care. Part of the Argentinian posse. I wonder what, what was his formal role at the uh, World Cup? Oh, he was um, player ambassador. Player ambassador, let's go with that. Um, all right. Um, your player of the match. The player of the match is going to be me. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna pull his lot on here. Shut out on Sunday, three nothing. Kind of the reason why my team won the Indoor League. So that'll be the first thing first. Me. Um, Do you guys win the league? No, we didn't win the league. We're, we've only played three games. Oh, okay. We are now one, one, and one. <laughs> oh, great! You're off to a good start. Your first win. The, I mean, that tie, that tie caught us by surprise. Yeah. Um, but then we lost a thriller five three. Um, I was only told I had to play half the game, half the game in goal. I didn't really care if I played the whole game in goal or not. They put another goalkeeper in, and it was I think one nothing at halftime. We were down, and then. The game ended 5-3. I said, well, they're like, oh, you should have stayed. You should have stayed. I said, well, wasn't my, I'm not the coach. I'm not the manager. It wasn't my decision to stay. So we lost that second game. Third game, got the number one spot. Threw nothing shut out. Easy. So I guess you could say in goal, put me playing full You games. find a new position. I mean, it's always in my position. Later in life, you find a new position. Man. Andre Blakebear, watch out. I mean, you could make a career of being a futsal goalkeeper. Show me the money. We got we got a guy that can uh we got a guy. We got a guy. We got show an injury guy. Show me the money. <laughs> Cause trying to get in a professional contract. Well, I took a shot off the chest and saved it. And I was like, man. Did you give it up to Mark Linden for that one? Yeah, I gave it up to Mark Linton. I gave it up to my face not getting pounded with the shot. <laughs> like, I went, like, to save it, and it just went, boom, right off the chest. I was like, man, that was uh, tough. Yeah, so I'm going to give myself player of the match. I'm also going to give the player of the match to uh, myself for calling out that Brandon Vasquez should have been the starting nine and yeah. the men's national or the men's team for the World Cup. One cap, one goal. I mean, what do I know? I know a little bit more than Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart, don't I? So, <laughs> shout out to myself again. 
goodness. No, see, they got some positions open. Probably my resume is probably not high enough to uh, apply. I may have to borrow someone else's name to apply. But <laughs> you want some players? I'll get you some players. There you go. Um, all right. On this day in history, uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to give you the option. I'm going to let you choose. I'm going to let you choose the, on this day in player history, on this day in soccer history. Do you want to go with a? I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two headlines. I'm going to give you two headlines. I'll let you choose. Um, do you want a uh, a fi- a player that was fined for oh, doing for doing something to a fan, or 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 do you want to brawl with an unlikely group of people? Can we do both? <laughs> we could do both. We could do both. Um, all right. hard to pick. Yeah, that's hard to pick. All right, January twenty seventh, two thousand and two. Uh, Jamie Carragher, Carragher, um, <laughs> Jamie, 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 uh, from Liverpool. That's the guy that's on TV. Yeah, that is. Uh, playing, um, playing against Arsenal in FA Cup game. Uh, a fan, um, throws a coin at him, and he threw it back at him. Uh, and then he was thrown out of the match and fined forty thousand pounds. Yeah, if I was Mike Richards next summer on set, yeah, just throw coins. coins. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so would be high. so twenty sixteen, January twenty seventh, twenty sixteen. You've heard about this because I've I've told you about the the walking league before, right? The walking league? Yeah, the walking league. So this is something that happens in England. It's an over 40 oh, league yeah. that's or sorry, an over 50 soccer league that's all that's all walking. So there's literally no running. You can only walk. Uh it's playing like a 7v7 uh field. You probably can't run. Uh but anyways, um so it's Canterbury football walking football club was playing Herney Bay. Walking football club. Um, five seconds into the match, there was a shoulder charge, uh, then a tackle, and then it, all of a sudden it was a brawl. Um, so two minutes into the game, the the game had to had to be called because it was a brawl between 50, 60, and 70 year olds. <laughs> Where were they? Told my woman 30 years ago. <laughs> you married. Your wife was supposed to be my wife. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, fair play of the week. Uh, my fair play of the week goes out to Girona. So Girona is playing against Barcelona this week. Um, you already and, forfeited the game. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, they went Willy Wonka style. Uh, so they've been. So they've. Uh, they haven't played against Barcelona since 2019. And they, in general, have only played against Barcelona five times. Um, and uh, so they decided that because everybody wants to go to the game. Um, you got to find the golden ticket. Yep. Got to find. They put 12 golden tickets around the city. And they gave out clues to see who could find them. And if you find the golden ticket, you had a ticket to go to the match. Interesting. I thought it was kind of cool. It is cool. Yeah, it's a different way of doing it, right? So I have a fake you're ultimately going to sell out anyways, but might as well just like 
Until I have a fake golden ticket, and it's like the the Champions League final. <laughs> there you go. Um, oh, fair yeah. play of the week. Uh, who's your fair play of the week? I had one in my head 30 seconds ago until you said that. Um, man, I had one. Lost my train of thought. It wasn't Gio Reyna, though. <laughs> you, should still be, you should still be banned from U.S. soccer. I mean, he scored a nice goal. Yeah, he scored scored two goals this week, but still should be banned. Uh, man, fair play of the week. Oh, that's who it is, David Beckham. Man, shout out to David Beckham. Son Romeo is playing for Brentford B. Um, and David's being a dad. He's not. He's not being a Claudio Arena. He's just being a dad out there. There's hot chocolate and the elements, and letting his son develop and play. And he wants his son to be his own person and not. David Beckham's son. Ultimately, we're all going to look at it and say, hey, it's David Beckham's son. Yep. But he wants it to be Romeo's career, not David's career. And I think he took three years off um, during his youth career. Hmm. And then he gave, David gave him a shot with Enter Miami, and now he's over at Brentford, Brentford B. Good for him. Good stuff. All right. Well, um, he might next, not be David Sonny. Might be the Spice Girls. <laughs> uh, next week we got some more, um, more interviews coming up uh, from the convention, um, and then we're going to start. We're actually recording interviews as we go through through the next couple of weeks in general that we'll 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 sprinkle in as well. So, um, so <laughs> for those of you that don't know, uh, Dwayne. Well, nobody knows. Dwayne made a sprinkling. <laughs> gesture um the, the salt bay the little <laughs> salt bay well thanks for joining us this week and remember always receive the ball on your front foot